There we go. All right, all right. Big hand to the hardest working AV team in the whole wide world. Thank you very much. We never ever look back there unless there's something wrong, but they do a good job every week here. So welcome, 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 welcome. My name is Father Anthony. Welcome to the finale here of Speaking of Health, a four-week series that we started three weeks ago. And if you missed any part of this series and you want to get caught up, you can always do so by going online and binge watching The Well by going to stsa.church slash The Well. That's what the term binge, word, binge watching was invented for, was watching sermons that you missed on Sunday, of course. What we're talking about, for those who, who need to get caught up real quick here, is we're talking about our health. And not just my physical health, my spiritual health, my emotional health, my mental health, my relational health. I'm talking about my health. And what we agreed in the very beginning is that each one of us is a person made up of different components. And if any part, if any component of me is not working properly, then the whole thing is off. Okay, I can't say that my left lung is okay or my left lung is sick and has cancer, but overall I'm doing pretty well. If any part of me has a sickness, then all of me has the sickness. And why this has been so eye-opening for those who have been joining us for the past three weeks is this is kind of counter to what we were taught growing up. Because we were taught in Sunday school growing up that you, you ha if you have a problem, the root is spiritual. And if you prayed more, and if you really believed, and if you did spirituality the right way, you wouldn't have that problem. And what we've been seeing here is that maybe the stuff that we were told, maybe there's more to it. Maybe I'm not depressed because I don't pray enough. Maybe there's another reason that's causing my depression or made it feel bad or the anxiety or the stress. Maybe it's not just, I need to pray more. And maybe I can continue to pray more and actually that could continue to get worse. Maybe there's more to it. Maybe the, my problem with my impulse control, maybe my addiction isn't solved by just if I really believed when I pray. And you know how many people got themselves really messed up and they got a really messed up view of God because they were taught that if you believed when you prayed, then you wouldn't have had that problem or you wouldn't have been done that bad choice, but you must not believe. And if you don't believe, then you're not a child of God. You know how many times people get messed up with that stuff? Well, what we're doing here in this series is seeing that maybe there's more to it. Our key verse, our theme verse for the past three weeks has been 1 Corinthians 6.20. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What we have been looking at is both our body and our spirit. And we're going to add a third component in there, okay, because we are made in the image of a triune God, which means we are made of three parts all put together into one whole. God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. We are body, soul, and spirit, one person. Okay, and the word soul and mind, I'm using those interchangeably, all right? And we, and we, every time we celebrate the divine liturgy, we say, God, please grant us the purification of our souls, our bodies, and our spirits, because we need all three working together. So you know what? What we kind of looked at over the past few weeks, maybe my problem with prayer, maybe the reason that I can't stand up and pray the way I used to, Maybe my struggle to get up early and pray isn't just a spiritual problem. Maybe it has to do with the food I'm eating the night before. Maybe it has to do with the time I'm going to bed. Maybe it has to do with how I sleep at night. Maybe my inability to focus during church, and I say, you know what, I just can't focus during church. Maybe it has to do with the stuff that I'm putting in my head the other six days of the week. The TV, the media, the music, maybe all that stuff is impacting me and it's causing me some distraction on Sunday morning. 
Maybe the reason that I'm depressed is because I believe every stupid thought that goes in my head. And some people needed just to hear that one sentence, which I said two weeks ago, which is you don't have to believe every stupid thought that's in your head. We are in charge of our brains. Our brains are not in charge of us. We said body, soul, spirit. That's the hierarchy. The body is just the body. The brain is part of the body. It's just an organ. It's just a thing that does stuff. I don't have to listen to my brain. My brain has to listen to me. So just because my brain gives me a thought, that's what we looked at in week two, is that I, my mind and my brain are not the same. That my mind is given to me to control my brain and my brain will give me stupid thoughts and then my mind has to say, this is true, this is not true. And I have to question. And what we talked about that week, if you remember, we watched that video. Remember how we talk back to our parents? Okay, when our parents, no, uh and we, all t- we are very good at talking back to our parents. We need to talk back to our brain sometime and not believe every stupid thought that goes in there. Because, as I said earlier, I am one person. Let's say this all together so it really sinks in our head. All together, on the count of three. One, two, three. I am one person made up of many parts, all of which are connected and all of which belong to God. Any part is off, the whole thing is off, and God cares for every part. He doesn't care about my spiritual more than my physical, more than my mental, more than my emotional. He cares about them all because he cares about me as a person. Now, the final piece of the puzzle that we're going to talk about today is a piece of you that you may not realize is a piece of you. Because it's actually not part of you, but it is a piece of you. And it's something that's not inside you, it's outside of you, but it affects every part of inside you. Today, we're going to talk about relational health. What we're going to see, we all know from a spiritual perspective of why relationships are important and how we need one another. We know that from a spiritual perspective. But maybe we'll look at it from a different angle today. And maybe we'll see that you truly cannot separate. You cannot separate relational health from mental health and emotional health and spiritual health. They have to be connected together. And we'll see it maybe from a couple different angles Let's start with the spiritual side, and then we'll get into more of the science side. First, we'll go back to the very beginning of the scripture, Genesis chapter 2. Very first, first, first days of man on this earth. And God said, when he looked down at man and everything was good, the trees was good, the sky was good, the food was good, everything was good. You know the first not good thing that entered into this world? What it says right there. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. Now here's what I love, okay? Let me tell you about me. What I love, I love, I love, I love finding a verse like this. Because this verse is enlightening and instructive for us here today, world that we live in. Because so many times, God gives us a nugget, a jewel, a piece of gold in his word, written thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. And then later on, eventually, you hear something on the news or you hear the scientists or you look on the Time magazine and it confirms and it says, we just discovered something very, very important. And then you look back at God's word and it said it thousands and thousands of years ago. Today, someone was telling me something, kind of off topic, but so just, I, I, love, I love this stuff. Someone was telling me something the other day about the latest fad thing is intermittent fasting. Y'all heard of intermittent fasting? I've heard the term before. I don't know what in the world that meant. And they told me what it meant. And I'm like, oh, you mean what the church tells us to do every time there's a fast? Because it's exactly what the church is telling us for a thousand years. And why the church tells us and the fasting is dumb and we don't need to fast. What does God care? But intermittent fasting is what, you know, you know, Angela, what's her name did? And Jolene, what's her name did? And that's what so do. 
And all of a sudden it became the coolest thing since sliced bread. It's stuff the church taught us for many, many, many years. I hear about importance for your brain for meditation and meditation. I'm like, what's meditation? You mean what Joshua told the, the, the people when he said, the book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you should meditate in it day and night? You're talking about that kind of meditation, which God said years and years and years ago? I saw an article on Time Magazine several years back. It said, forgiveness, the unknown medicine or something like that. You mean the same forgiveness that Jesus told us that unless you do this forgiveness, you got no part with me? That stuff? So you're just now catching up to that stuff? Welcome to the club. Because God taught us all this stuff before and the same is true about relationships. Look here, we're gonna look at a verse. What Jesus said when they asked Jesus about the most important commandment, the most important commandment, you know what he's going to say. He's gonna talk about love, but you gotta get the context. Jesus lived at a time where all the other gods and religions all the other gods preached what was the most important command, love. They preached submission and obedience to me. That's what all the gods when all the religions pushed was I'm God, Zeus, you know, whatever it may be, you offer sacrifices to me. This was how the pagan world worked. You had an almighty God, didn't care much about people. You appeased him and then he let you live. And in the midst of that environment, Jesus said, let me tell you the truth about God. Mark chapter 12, verse 29. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. That part wasn't so off. And this is the first commandment. And the second like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other commandment greater than these. From the beginning, God said, man was made for relationship. It is not good for man to be alone. Jesus confirmed this. In a world where all the gods focused on obedience and submission, Jesus focused on relationship and love. And he said that love is the most important thing that you need to know. Now, let me ask you a question. Jesus said here, you need to love God and love your neighbor. Which is harder? To love God or love your neighbor? Which is harder? To offer sacrifices to God, especially a God that we don't see, and even better, we don't think sees us sometimes, at least we hope. Or my neighbor, who's in front of my face, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. I'm a pros and cons. I'm an analytic. I'm an Excel spreadsheet kind of guy. So I came up with some pros and cons. God doesn't lie to me. God doesn't yell at me. God doesn't gossip about me. God doesn't sit on the couch while I do dishes. God doesn't nag constantly. I'm not saying me. I'm saying, uh, okay. God isn't late every time he says he's going to be somewhere at five o'clock, doesn't show up at 515 with an excuse about traffic. God doesn't forget our birthdays. God doesn't ignore our texts. God for sure would at least like our latest picture on Instagram, I would imagine. God is perfect. God never lets us down. He never interrupts when we're talking. He never stands too close in a conversation. He never leaves the seat up after he's done the bathroom. I believe that loving God, let me say it the other way. I believe that loving one another is harder and it gets harder the more you get to know the one another. Like loving one another is hard on day one. Every day that goes by in a relationship with a one another, it becomes harder to love that one another because we see their imperfections and we see their weaknesses and we see their flaws. So my question to you, God, my question, God, why do you put these two on the same level? Like why not just be a selfish God and just be like a power trip God and say, just love me, obey me. Like why Christianity is the only religion that has all these one another's. Love one another, encourage one another, support one another, forgive one Like, why the one another's? 
Like, just keep it like between me and God. Why complicate the matter? It's easier for you and it's easier for us. Like, it's a win-win scenario. Why the one another's? The answer to the question of why God gives us any commandments, especially the top one, is God doesn't want anything. I tell you this all the time. It's not about what God wants from us, but what God wants for us. So God is not telling us, this is what I need from you. What he's saying is, this is what you need from you. And I'm prescribing you as a doctor, as a physician. This is what you need. I'm commanding you. That's what a doctor does. A doctor says, you have to take two of these a day. And you have to do these physical therapy exercises. And you have to show up for this class. You say, why make it so complicated? Why don't I just give you the copay? Your life is better. My life is easier. Because it's not about what I want from you. It's what I want for you. And God knows that you and I work best. He's the creator of this. Science can describe what God created. God is the only one who knows the whole thing inside and out. And God from the beginning said, this thing doesn't work right when it's alone. This thing needs relationship. This thing needs those one another's. It's not about what the one another's need. It's about what you need, what I need. We need one another. We need to be in relationship. Simply put, we were made for relationship, not isolation. And another word for relationship is love. We were created not in a vacuum. And when we, when we isolate ourselves, when we exist, when we build walls around ourselves, we only hurt ourselves because we were made for relationship, not isolation. Biblically, again, I'm going to go through this kind of quick because there's, this isn't so hard to prove from a biblical perspective. Y'all understand this one. But just kind of going back, like, just go through the entire Old Testament. And again, in a time where all the other gods cared about individualized worship, God preached, or God commanded, I should say, a one another kind of a worship. So don't lie to one another. Don't steal from one another. Don't gossip about one another. And it was very clear that the one another's of, of Christianity, of, 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 of worshiping the one true God, which was Judaism and then Christianity, those one another's impacted my relationship with God. I couldn't do this without doing this. Here's some verses from the New Testament, okay? Uh, St. Paul says, Romans 13, verse 8, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. Straightforward. Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this you shall love your neighbor as yourself. My favorite, James chapter 2, verse 8, If you really fulfill the royal law, according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. Why love your neighbor as yourself is the royal law? Why? Royal means king. Who's the only true king in this world? Is God. So this is the law of God. This is the God law. You know why? Because God is relationship. God is love. That's what, that's what, that's what this next verse, 1 John chapter 4, verse 8. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. And he says it again in verse 18. God is love. He who abides in love abides in God and God in him. God is love. And therefore, if you do love, you do what the king does. And you are living a royal life because God is love. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you cannot, God cannot exist without relationship because God is relationship because God is love. You can't have love unless there are three persons, okay, inside the Trinity. If, if it was just God without, it was just Father without Son, Holy Spirit, what's love? That's not love. Love has to be one another. So if we want to be godly, we want to be royal, then we be loving and we be in relationship with one another because God is love. Now, let's shift gears a little bit. 
That's from a biblical perspective. Easy, I could go on for that. You've heard that before. Why? From a biblical, spiritual perspective, we need one another. It's commanded by God. God knows how we work. How about from a scientific perspective? How about from a medical perspective? What's the need for one another? Because it would seem like the problems in my life come from the one another. Like you're talking about stress and anxiety in here, Father Anthony. Those come from the one another's. And if I didn't have the one another's, then I'd probably have a lot less stress. Well, I'll say it this way, and then I'll, I'll break it down. A healthy brain, or healthy body, but specifically we're talking about a brain, helps you stay connected, and staying connected helps your brain get or stay healthy. A healthy brain helps you stay connected. Staying connected helps your brain get healthy or stay healthy. See, what I'm trying to say is all series, I've been doing the inverse. All series, what I've been saying is, is if there's any part of your body, and we've been looking specifically at about, about our mental, our mind, our brain. If there's part of your brain that's off, okay, that's not functioning properly, okay, if there's something that's going on, it's gonna affect your relationships and it's gonna affect the way you interact with others. But now what I'm saying is the inverse. Your relationships will actually affect your brain's health and your emotional health and your mental health. So this helps you have good relationships. Having good relationships helps you keep this thing in check. And that's what we wanna talk about here for the rest of our time. Love enhances our brain's ability to function properly and our brain's ability to function properly helps us to love more. The two were meant to work together. How? 1999, there was a study done that was printed in the Annals of Internal Medicine. Volume 11, in case anyone wants to look it up. And the point of the study was the effect of isolation on the brain's aging process. So what does isolation do to a person as they're aging, okay? Specifically, their intelligence and their memory. That's what, that's what they were measuring. And they took 2,800 senior citizens aged 65 and above, and they followed them for 12 years. They measured their degree of social isolation. I won't get into all the details, but they measured how isolated, how connected they were. Okay, it's counted with, with their spouse, regular contact with friends, relatives, okay, living in community, church, whatever it may be. And I'll just kind of fast forward to the end of the study right here. Social isolation was significantly associated with subsequent worsening of cognitive impairment, meaning it's bad for you. Isolation makes you worse. Social isolation was also associated with increased illness and earlier death. There's another study that was done in the 13th century, which was much less scientific and much more barbaric by the German emperor, Frederick II. Frederick II wanted to do a study and see what is the natural language of man? What if man is not taught any language, what language will he speak? What was the language of Adam and Eve who had no parents teaching the language? Do you know what he did? He took a group of infants, okay? Separated them from their parents right after birth and he put them all together. And he had them isolated in such a way that they could receive no human contact except with the people that were running the study. They fed them on a regular basis and they took care of them and they washed them. But they never spoke to them. And they never touched them outside of what was necessary just to, to, to like I said, to wash them. And he wanted to see what language would these children speak when they first could start speaking. You know the answer? You know what language they spoke? Nothing because not one of them survived to be able to speak a word. They all died. Because whether you are young, infant, or old senior, or anything in between, we were made for relationship. 
We need to be connected. And if we are not connected, we're not gonna function spiritually, we're not gonna function emotionally, we're not gonna function mentally because we were not made for isolation, we were made for connection, we were made for love. Go to, go to uh, support groups like Alcoholics Anonymous or any, any of the ones who have followed their pattern. The key to their success. I remember the first time that someone told me about Alcoholics Anonymous, I heard so much about it, and I, someone attended and I said, you know, what's like their secret sauce? Like, what do they do in there? And he told me what they do in their meeting, all right? If anyone's ever been there, you're not gonna admit it now, obviously, but I'm saying if you have been or any of these, they do nothing. They do absolutely nothing. Like there's no, there's no, like what are they teaching you there? What tricks are they telling you? It's nothing. You know all it is? Is put someone next to someone who's walking in the same direction and that's how change happens. Because change doesn't happen from information. We all have the information. No one's lacking the, hey, I need to eat better. Hey, I need to stop smoking. Hey, I drink too much. No one is lacking that information of what alcohol does or what smoking will do or what they eat. And like, no one's lacking the information. What we lack is the social support. And one of the keys to Alcoholics Anonymous and all the things that are like is the support, the social support. And you know what? I don't know this to be true from a scientific perspective, but I told you all series. I know people, okay? Because I got experience with people. I don't know the science, the medical, but I know from the people side. And I can tell you 100% without a shadow of a doubt, the people that make the changes in life. I see a lot of people who come to me saying, I want to change. I want to change this year. I want this to be the year that I whatever. And I'm telling you, I can predict it almost with pretty good accuracy. It's the people who have the social support around them, those are the ones who are gonna be successful. It's not desire, it's not willpower. All that stuff is nonsense. It's the people who have the support network around them, those are the ones who nine out of 10 times find the success. And I'll give you, again, a quote from someone smarter than me, Dr. Stephen Martin from somewhere in Durham, England. He said, our day-to-day -day interactions with others enhance or hurt how the brain works. Being more connected to the people in your life helps to heal the brain. This is a great quote. Love is as powerful as drugs and usually a lot more fun. To be honest, do we need science to tell us this? Do we need Father Anthony to come tell us this? Don't we know this from experience? The more time we spend with positive people, we feel good about ourselves, don't we? When we're around people who are upbeat, people who are positive, people who are happy. Don't we feel more upbeat? Don't we feel more encouraged? Don't we feel more happy? And isn't the inverse also true? That when we're on negative people, we're more tense? Statistics tell you that being around positive, positive people, I'm sorry, not being around them, but positive people, the more positive a person is, is less likely to be hospitalized, usually wealthier, lives longer, and is more satisfied with their life. Whereas, People who tend to be negative, and again, I know I'm using general terms, more stress, more anxiety, more depression, more hospitalization for illnesses. Why? Because something that we understand about the human body, that when, the human, when a human being is in a stressful situation, your body excretes adrenaline, okay? And this is something that we need because adrenaline helps us to do things that we couldn't do otherwise. Well, when you're with a negative person, a person that stresses you out, that's always a, the Debbie Downer, okay? The adrenaline keeps going because you're always on guard. You can't let back, let your guard down. You can't relax. So you're always on guard. And that adrenaline, that stress, it adds up and it takes a toll on us. And you know this to be true because anyone who has ever lived with somebody who has a mental illness or a physical illness, to be honest, you know this to be true, that it exerts an energy on you 
I'm not talking about someone who's sad. I'm talking about someone who's got depression and has had it chronically. I'm talking about someone who has Alzheimer's, dementia. I'm talking about someone who has something called borderline or bipolar. I'm talking about people who really struggle with these things. They struggle, but the people around them struggle just as much, if not more, because it's carrying a load of being around someone who causes me stress. Speaking of depression, did you know that mothers of children who have ADD that is untreated have a higher rate of depression and end up sick more often than mothers of children who don't? This is scientific facts right here because chronic stress is devastating for our minds and our bodies and our spirits. You can't disconnect one from the other. Now, with the rest of our time here together, I wanna do something fun. I wanna do two things left. I'm done convincing you. I gave you biblical. I gave you some scientific. You may not believe me. Go look it up. That's fine. I don't care if you question me. That's fine. Here's what I want to do. I'm assuming that you're convinced that your relational health is connected to your mental health and your spiritual health, and it's all connected. I want to do two things. First, I want to help you assess your relational health. And we're going to play a little game in a second. And then after that, I'm going to shut up, and I'm going to invite someone else to come up here, a mystery surprise guest who is going to share a story, their own story, obviously, about how they walked a road and they were struggling with some things that they thought was just spiritual. And then finally they realized that maybe the problem wasn't spiritual, maybe the problem was in other areas. And they're gonna share, kind of tie this whole thing together. And we're gonna do that at the end. But first, let's do the fun part. Let's assess our relationships. Here's what I'm asking you to do. If you've got a pen and paper, you can do it. You can write it on your phone. You can do it in your head, but it's not as much fun in your head because we're gonna do some fun stuff. We're gonna add up some scores right here in a second. I want everyone to think of your top five friends, the top five people that you hang out with. Spouse doesn't count. You're stuck with them, okay? You have no choice there. I'm talking about the top five people that you spend time with on the weekends or that you hang out with during, um, like you're free and you wanna hang out with somebody that you might be seen out. Like, who are the top five people that you spend your time with? Everyone come up with five names, the top five people that you spend your time with. And you can write them down. We're gonna give some scores in a second right here, okay? You may wanna do abbreviations for names, okay, in case they are nearby, okay? Because I'm gonna ask you to assess them. Top five people that you hang out with, not your spouse, not your children. If you are struggling to come up with five, you might be living in isolation, my friend. Top five people that you spend time with. Everyone got their list? Now you're going to give them a score. You're going to give them a score from one to ten. Ten being like Jiminy Cricket, happy, happy, upbeat, positive, optimistic. One being the most depressed person, the most negative person, only critical, okay, like the, like the, 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 the Winnie the Pooh, the one who's always the, the miserable one. Okay, who's the Eeyore? Okay, and what's the happy one? The, the, the Tigger. Okay, so Tigger is a 10 and Eeyore is the one. Okay, give each person a grade positive, negative. Are they critical and judgmental? Are they supportive, encouraging? They make excuses for people, they hold grudges against people, they forgive, they're kind, or they go eye for an eye. Give each one a score. I told you you should have used abbreviations, huh? 
you got your list in front of you. You got your top five people. You got the scores that are next to them. Some are eight and nines. Some are maybe five and sixes. I hope none of you, but I'm sure some of you, got some ones and twos on that list. Maybe some threes and fours. I mean, I don't know what's on your list, so I can just ask a question. Look over your list. What impact do you think those people have on you? Do you think there's any impact? Like if your list is three, three, two, four, one, what impact do you think that's having on you? You think it's having any impact? You think being around people who are always complaining is having any impact on you or you're immune to it? And vice versa. If you look and you see that the people, maybe you see, maybe you have like a, a, a good comparison. You have a couple eight and nines and you have a couple twos and threes. Ask yourself, after an evening with the twos and threes, how do I feel? After an evening with the eight and nines, how do I feel? I bet you that if you are honest with yourself, that when you're around negative people, you feel worse. And when you're around uplifting positive people, you feel better. You know why? Because that's what the scripture says in Proverbs 13, 20, and I believe it's true. He who walks with wise will be wise, but the companion of fools will be destroyed. He who walks with wise will be wise. He who walks with negative will be negative. He who walks with haters will be a hater. He who walks with encouragers will always be encouraged and will probably be encouraging. You have to decide what impact that's having on you. And I came up with a, a little, you know, I like to make, you know, funny and rhyming and things like that. So I try to make a little thing to help you dissect what you should do. So I split them in three categories, but obviously the numbers are arbitrary, so you can do what you want. So the first category is the eight to tens. Eight to 10, more time with them. Okay, that's what you want. Eight to 10, more time with them. The eight to tens that are on your list, these are the people that you wanna go and invite to lunch today after church. These are the people that if they got kids, try to get your kids to be friends with their kids. These are the people that when they're hosting a life group, sign up for that life group. These are the people that you want to spend more time with because you feel good about yourself. Be proactive, don't just be reactive. Eight and 10, eight through 10, more time with them. Five through seven, go talk to Kevin. And I just, I couldn't find anything to rhyme with seven, so I went with Kevin, but here's what I'm trying to say. I mean, if someone's in that middle category of five to seven, let's assume their name is Kevin, okay? Maybe you need to have a talk with Kevin. And maybe you need to say to him like, look, you know, like every time we get together, man, all we do is talk politics and bash whoever. Man, all we do is gossip about whatever. Man, I know you're kind of seeing this negatively. You need to maybe like take a little personal responsibility in life and not everything is, is the man's fault and is the system's fault. Like maybe some of it, like maybe you need to five to seven, go talk to Kevin, okay? Because I don't want to cut Kevin off but I also don't want him to influence me, so maybe I need to, to address this situation. So we have eight to 10, more time with them. Five to seven, go talk to Kevin. Four and below, gots to go. <laughs> and I say that with all love and kindness and respect. I'm not saying we got to get them out of our life today before lunch, but Jesus himself said, if your left hand causes you to sin, what do you say to do it? Cut it off. Because I can't let this thing infect the rest of this thing. Because my relationships are a part of me whether I like it or don't like it. And if Jesus would say something as close to me and as part of me as my own hand, if it causes me to sin to cut it off, then you know what? Some of us, there's a relationship that may need to get cut off. Some of us, 
there's, there's, there's a, a relationship that at least needs a significant amount of distance. And you know what? Unfortunately, sometimes that could even be in our own families. But we got to do what we got to do to stay healthy. Four and below, gots to go. For those, let's get rid of the four and belows, and let's put aside the fives and the sevens. Let's go to the eights and the tens right now. Okay, those more time with them. Don't just spend more quantity of time with them. We're going to focus on more quality. We're going to view those eight to tens especially. We're going to view those as a gift to me from God. Look at this gift God gave me. God gave me this brain. God gave me my family. God gave me all that I have. And look at this gift that he gave me, these eight, nines, and tens. I'm going to value them, and I'm going to use them, and I'm going to invest in them. I'm going to get the most out of them. How am I going to get the most out of the eight to tens? I'm going to try to spend more time with them, but I'm also going to do one of my favorite verses. I love this verse. I wish we can get this verse. This is the opposite of how most of us think. But if we, 1 John 1, 7, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. What does walk in the light mean? It can mean a lot of different things. Here's how I'm interpreting it here for today. I'm focusing on this specific aspect, is we want to walk in openness. We want to walk in the light. We don't want to hide. We don't want to be fake. We want to be authentic. We want to be real. We want the real me to be able to be seen by others. If we're honest, when it comes to authenticity, it's a word that we use often about what we want from others and seldom about what we want to offer others. And that's where we're hypocrites. We want others to be real. We want others to be authentic. We want others to be genuine. And then we ourselves refuse to do it. And that's where we're hypocrites. We are experts not at walking in the light. We are experts at walking in make-believe. We are experts in creating a story, a narrative, that we want to tell the world. And we craft that story in 250 characters or less, and we post pictures that match the narrative, and we try to create this image of ourselves, this persona of who I am, and anything that doesn't fit it, we push it over there, and we hide it over there. We don't talk about it, and we certainly don't post it online. And we try to walk and make believe. Imagine what our lives would look like. Oh, and then by the way, then we complain when others do the same to finish that thought up. Imagine what our lives would look like if we could share how we truly felt. Imagine what life would look like. I know this is, talking about make-believe, let me tell you make-believe. Imagine if I was like dealing with anger issues and I'm like, you know what? I can't control my temper around my kids, around my wife, around my, my boss. Like I, I'm struggling with this. Imagine if I could go to a friend and I could say, you know what? And I'm struggling with this. I need help. I just, I just need somebody to even just pray with me. Imagine what that would look like. Imagine what life would look like if you could go to someone and say, you know what, the pressure is mounting and there's just too much pressure. It's at work, it's at home, it's everywhere. And I don't know why, but I just feel like things are caving in on me. Imagine if I could share that in a safe environment, what that would do for my life. There's this myth that we think that if we're open about our fears, the people will think less of us. If we're open about our weaknesses, people won't like us. I see this all the time. This is what happens every time someone comes and says, you know what, I've been avoiding confession. I don't want to confess. Why? Because I don't want you to think worse of me. Who told you I'm going to think worse of you? First of all, I'm not going to remember what you said, number one. Of... 
But then number two, you know what I'm gonna think of you? I'm gonna think I respect this person much more because when you acted perfect, did you think I thought you were perfect? Because I don't know, no, no, nobody who's perfect. And if anyone thinks that you're like fooling everyone, okay, we invite you to come up here on stage and we will tell you how not perfect you are, okay? That's what marriage is for in case you're single, okay? That's what we get married for. So nobody thinks you're perfect. And when you hide it, when you hide your weakness, that just makes people guess, well, maybe that or maybe that. Or, but when you come and say, you know, here, I'm weakness. I say, welcome to the club, man. That, 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 doesn't, that doesn't bring judgment. That brings love. That opens you up to get healing. Because we were not made for isolation. We were made for relationship. I read this one time in a book a long time ago. I'll never forget it. We impress with our strengths, but we connect through our weaknesses. We impress with our strengths. That's social media. That's what we put on the Facebook or on the Instagram. We try to impress with our strengths. But that's not connection. We connect when we're open and vulnerable with one another and share our weaknesses. And again, you struggle with this, I'll just throw it out to you. What do you want from me? What do you want from me? Here I am as your priest. You want me to come up here every week and tell you how perfect I am, how great I am, how I got it all together, my life is better than yours, and show you pictures, and then you can like them? Is that what you want? Or do you want me to come up here and be real and say, you know what? I struggle just as much as you. And, I, and I, I, I'm in the same boat as you are. Like, which, which are you more naturally drawn to? Mr. Perfect? And the person who shows that the whole world, that I got my life all together, you like people like that? No one likes them. We are naturally drawn to people who are real. People, like I said, we want authentic. We want genuine. But then we don't do the same, so that's why I'm saying we're hypocrites. And this is where we need to change. We need to be able to say statements like, here's what I'm going through. We need to be able to say statements like, I'm struggling with this. We need to be able to say things like, I need help. I'm afraid. I can't escape. I feel it's too much. We need to be able to say those things without any fear of judgment. And I believe that if you do that, it'll make a big difference in your health, your mental health, your emotional health, and your spiritual health. Probably your physical health too, because we were made for relationships and that doesn't change. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. If you're single, there will be a temptation. And the temptation will be anytime you get too close and a person gets too close to you, is you run to the next person. And you run to the next person. If you're married, you're stuck with that person. And as they come close to you, the temptation will be to bury yourself in your job or your children and to not deal with the reality and say, you know what? I don't have time to think about that now. The kids, 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 work, 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 work. And you'll be tempted. When you're single, the temptation is to run to the next person. When you're married, the temptation is to bury yourself in whatever it may be. When you are empty nester or maybe senior, the temptation will be to say, you know what? Too late for me. I'm too old for this stuff. This is just how I am. I don't need anything. All of us, young, old, married, single, kids, no kids. We're made for relationship. We're not made for isolation. That's the word of God. Now, last thing I'm gonna do. Okay, here's the fun part. I'm gonna invite someone to come up here, and like I said, share their story. This person, not easy to share in front of all these people, but they're gonna share, like I said, their struggle and how the answer to their struggle was not spiritual, but more than that. This person is a very special person to me actually is my best friend for the past 17 years. 
and I just got so many points for that picture. Please give a big hand to my wife, Marianne. Do you want me to move the picture? You probably want okay. <laughs> She didn't know about the picture. <laughs> That's my little secret. Okay. Hi, everybody. Um, this is a subject I feel really passionate about, and so I just wanted to take this opportunity um, to share a little bit about my journey in this area. Uh, so for as long as I can remember, I've always had a tendency towards fear um, and anxiety. N my talent in life was coming up at worst possible case scenario options in my own life and um, those I really like loved and cared about. So a couple of years ago, I went through a difficult season and that kind of triggered a whole lot of anxiety within me. The anxiety started off about the actual car time that I was going through, but then it progressed to so much more and it actually began to consume me. So um, I was good at hiding it on the outside, uh, but inside I felt like it was kind of slowly taking over me. So I, I knew for sure, like I'm a Christian, I'm married to Abuna, so I knew like this is not how I'm supposed to live my life. Uh, but that actually made it worse because I felt guilty because it seemed like I wasn't obeying God, and I wasn't, um, like, his greatest commandment is trust him. If you love him, you trust him. And it felt like, because I was fearful and anxious, I wasn't trusting him. So I did what any Christian would do. I listened to every single sermon I could find on fear. You can ask Abuna, because he'd come home. I'd be cooking dinner and listening to a sermon. Um, I'd read spiritual books. I... Uh, repented a lot, I confessed, I memorized Bible verses, I would try to renounce fear in any way that I could. Um, however, none of those things helped because when it came down to it, my problem really wasn't a spiritual problem. And in fact, you can argue that maybe some of those spiritual things were making it worse because the more you try to not be anxious, the more anxious I ended up becoming. Um, because sometimes the more you focus on not doing something, the more you end up doing it. So if you focus on, I'm not going to lose my temper, I'm not, you, you probably are going to get angry and lose your temper. Um, so I'm not saying God's not involved when we're going through something like this, uh, because the only way that we are healed is through God. I'm just saying that we have to address these problems as mental health problems, not spiritual. Uh, so my healing uh, journey began last Labor Day. I was running a 5K with Lizzie, actually more like walking a 5K. And guess what I was during, doing during the run? Listening to a sermon. <laughs> and during that sermon, the speaker said that she stopped helping certain people uh, because they refused to be helped. They were doing the same thing over and over again, um, and they were on. They were hampering their own growth. So her exact words is, "If this is you, you must get off the merry-go-round, get help, and do whatever it takes to live the life God has for you." So I heard that, and I realized something had to change. So I couldn't let anxiety rule my life anymore. So the first thing I did was um, I talked to my husband, who was very supportive, very, very loving, and he, he talks about his prayer card. So he, he did a prayer card, and honestly, I felt a change from 
the second he did the prayer card. But anyhow, um, that wasn't it. Uh, that was just the beginning. Um, and together we came up with a plan um, of, of kind of healing and how to address the, the problem. I, I don't need to tell you guys like my exact plan because every single person is different. Uh, so your plan will be different, uh, but if you want to talk about it later, we definitely can. Um, now it's been um, almost a year, and, and life looks a lot different now. Uh, I can say I've never felt freer, uh, and that freedom, like I said, began with admitting to my husband that I was struggling. So Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Um, so I can say that there's no way that I would have seen freedom without acknowledging the truth. And the truth is, hey, I'm struggling with anxiety. Um, the area that I saw the biggest fruit in was my, in my relationships. Uh, first of all, the biggest change by far was in my relationship with God. Um, this journey's completely transformed my relationship with God. I, ironically, I actually pray less. Uh, but that's because prayer used to be my way of controlling God uh, to do what I want and to temporarily relieve the anxiety. Uh, instead of fear being the motivating factor in my relationship with God, it's now love. I remember I used to always run through my sins, make sure I repented because I didn't want to get punished. And now when I sin and I repent, it's because I feel bad that I hurt God after all he's done for me. So it's definitely my relationship with God now is more about him, whereas before I think it was more about me. Um, yeah, in, in the past, I would pray, read the Bible, spend time with God as a way of controlling him. Uh, and now, like, prayer is more about surrender and trust. It also transformed my marriage in a really awesome way. Uh, last time I stood up here, I think I said, we fight a lot. Uh, but a big part of that was because my fear makes me controlling. So learning to let go of that has built up our marriage in a strong way. And I can say I never loved my husband more than I do right now. Uh, and I think it's because my heart is freer uh, to love. Uh, and I see it with other family members and friends as well. I'm able to better care about them uh, because I'm less focused on myself. Um, I don't want to make it seem like I never struggle with anxiety anymore because that would be a flat out lie. Uh, it for sure comes knocking at the door sometimes, but I've learned to manage it better by accepting it as, well, this isn't really who I am. I'm just like Abuna was talking about. It's just my brain is a little anxious right now. Um, but what I can tell you is that I'm definitely not the same person I was five years ago or even one year ago. And I can honestly tell you that I'm off the merry-go-round and in the exact place uh, that God wants me to be in. So if you find yourself on a merry-go-round as well that you don't like, I'd encourage you to first turn to God and ask him to help you to get off. Ask him to lead you as to where uh, to begin the journey off the merry-go-round. Absolutely no healing or progress can take place without God. So that's where it has to start. And like any good, loving, wise father, he'll take you by the hand and he'll, he'll lead you uh, on the journey. But don't stop there. Uh, like Abuna said, find a friend that you trust, and as hard as it is, admit that you too struggle and ask for help. I guarantee that if you don't admit the truth, you will never find freedom. 
uh, I was always minimizing anxiety or hiding it from my husband because I thought maybe he wouldn't understand or he would look at me differently or maybe it would affect our relationship negatively. But actually, the opposite happened. Admitting the truth led to deeper unity in our relationship uh, than ever before. Uh, it, it, like I said, it was that moment that began the whole uh, journey of freedom. Uh, yesterday, I read Psalm 81, where God tells the Israelites, open your mouth wide and I will fill it. I love that. Our part is to open our mouth, which means we have to go to God, we have to go to others, and then we have to obey uh, whatever instructions are given to us. And then God's part is to fill our mouth, which is to basically do the healing inside of us. So um, in this psalm, unfortunately, the Israelites didn't do that. They didn't open their mouth. And the very last verse is, he would have fed them also with the finest wheat and with honey from the rock. I would have satisfied you. I don't want any of us to miss out on the finest wheat and honey that want God wants to give us through our healing because we're afraid of admitting that we're struggling. So... The last thing I'll leave you with is there is hope. You too can get off the merry-go-round. So if you're sitting here thinking, you know, that's great for her, but that won't happen to me, or maybe um, my problems are worse, or I tried and failed too many times. So if you thought any of those three things, you're exactly who I'm talking to right now. Um, I'm not saying you're never going to struggle again, but what I'm saying is you can get off the merry-go-round. Thank you very much, Marianne. Um, that wasn't easy to do what she just did. That was not easy to do what she just did. But uh, that's exactly the point we're trying to talk about right here. All right, the whole point I'm trying to say, and Marianne exemplified so well, Marianne would not have found healing had she run from relationship. Both relationship God, but specifically her relationship others. And you, too, will never find healing outside of relationship. You think you can do it on your own, but I'll tell you this, and I don't mean to sound rude. If you could have solved it by now, you would have. But you can't do it on your own. We need one another. We were made for relationship. As we wrap up this series, I'm going to invite our music team, wherever they may be, to come back up here on stage. We'd like to wrap up the series with a song and a prayer. And as they're getting themselves set up, I just want to tell you this. I want to wrap this whole series together and say we are one person, many parts, and God cares for every single one of them. Because what Jesus said right here in John chapter 10, verse 10, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. And my question to you, my challenge to you is, are you living the life that God wants you to live? And if the answer is no, where's the weak link? Is it physical? And is it maybe my diet? Is it maybe my exercise or lack thereof? Is that stopping me from the life that God wants me to live? If so, take an action. Is it a uh, relational? Okay, as Marianne just shared right there, is it something relational where I need to go and say to somebody, you know what, I need help, or I just need to just get out of my own little isolated bubble. If that's the case, take care of it. Is it back to the mind like we talked about and those ants that we talked about in week two? Am I believing every stupid thought that comes in my head? If that's the case, I need to take an action because what Jesus says for me right here is that's where I want to get to. I want to live that abundant life and in whatever I'm falling short, there's no shame. 
because everyone's falling short somewhere. There's no shame. Like, is anybody, I'm going to put her on the spot here, is anyone judging Marianne after what she just shared up here? Anyone feel like, you know what? Like, I bet you every single person by the looks in their faces, okay, they love Marianne, they didn't even talk to her, but they love you much more because they feel like, you know what, I can relate to that. Church has to be the safest place that we can share with one another. And it has to be a place that we put down our guards and we let the real me come out in front of God. Let's stand together and say a prayer. And the theme of our prayer is God, give us healing from whatever it is that we are falling short of that light.
Spirit, one God, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, that we are your children, and we always have hope no matter what is in front of us, Lord. We have hope because we are a child of God, child of the Most High King. We thank you, Lord, for the sonship that you give to each one of us, Lord, and none of us is, is worthy of that honor. But we pray, Lord, that you would help us to live a life worthy of the calling that we have received. That you'd help us to see, Lord, where we may be falling short of that abundant life that you called us to. Whether it's physical or mental or emotional or relational or spiritual, Lord. That you'd help each one of us to find the area that you are trying to pinpoint. And that you would help us to find the help that we so desperately need. We thank you, Lord, that we can always come to you. We thank you for our church family, Lord which is limitless acceptance and is always encouraging and always welcoming. We pray that you'd help us to all take advantage of that. We pray these things in the mighty name of your Son, with the prayers of all of your saints. Here says we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. In Christ Jesus our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen.